next stop, motherhood. Join us on the journey there. On the way, we will be talking about infertility, loss, adoption, and everything in between. Now here's your host, Stephanie Simmons. Welcome everyone to Next Stop Motherhood. This will be our first episode and I figured it would be the best time to go ahead and introduce myself. Again, my name is Stephanie Simmons. I've been on the journey to motherhood now going about four years. I know we all have different ways of getting to motherhood and that's kind of what I want to go ahead and discuss in this podcast. I want to let people know that nowadays there isn't just one way to get to motherhood. Now, I know there are people who are okay and content accepting that motherhood may not be something that will come to them, and obviously this podcast will be discussing on how to get there, different options we have to get there. Therefore, if you are one of many people, there there are quite a number, I guess, then this podcast probably isn't for you. However, if you are one of the many people who would like to know all the different ways we have, listen to other struggles and learn about all the different options we have now to get to the road to motherhood, then this podcast is definitely for you. I'm thinking I'll start sharing my story. My story is pretty, it's a pretty common one as far as uh, infertility struggles go. My husband and I met seven, eight years ago actually. At school, we were going to Utah Valley University. We met there and we started dating. And after dating for about six months, we decided to go ahead and get married. And after getting married, we waited, well, we got married on the year of when we met. That was our wedding day, a year anniversary. And once we got married, we decided that trying for children was not an immediate thing. Um, Zach still had to finish school. I was still in school as well, and so we decided to wait about two years. In the meantime, being a woman, when you're married, at least in my case, children were always on my mind. However, I respected the decision that me and Zach came to, and so we waited. Fast forward, Zach graduates, we go ahead and start trying to have a child, and things are not working. Um, I believe we gave it a good six months before I went to my OBGYN. After approaching them, they said that it's very common. They said that I might not be ovulating. So therefore, that's when the whole Clomid journey started. For those of you who don't know, Clomid is actually a drug that is given to women who have trouble ovulating and it actually helps you ovulate on specific days. Therefore, scheduled intercourse take place and it gives you a higher percentage of becoming pregnant. Our first round with Clomid was as expected. Clomid is actually a drug that has a lot of adverse reactions. Nothing too serious for the woman trying to become pregnant, um, but there is mood swings, there's headaches, there's nausea, and boy were the mood swings strong with me. <laughs> I remember taking Clomid and I remember just being miserable for those five days, just being ornery, being moody, being emotional, but at the end of the day, I knew there was a goal, and that was to have a child. After being on Clomid for the first three months, uh, nothing was happening. Then on month number four, I got my first positive pregnancy test. I remember thinking of the cutest way possible to let Zach and my family know that I was pregnant. We decided to, well, I decided to go ahead and 
saved the picture of the positive pregnancy test, put it in a bag. I remember I even recorded Zach opening this little bag to see. When he got home, he looked at me, he saw inside the bag, he saw what it was, and the smile on his face is something I think I will never forget. Um, we did the same with my parents and his mom. We let everybody know that we were pregnant, assuming that this was going to be amazing. We had never suffered a miscarriage before, so that wasn't something that was really on our radar. After getting the positive pregnancy test, I made sure to call my OBGYN. I let him know that I got a positive pregnancy test, and the first thing he wanted to do was get me in for an HCG blood count. And basically what HCG is, it's the human growth hormone that develops when you're pregnant. The numbers increase or decrease um, depending on where you are in your pregnancy. In the beginning, what they like to see is that they like to see those numbers double every two to, two to three days, I believe is what it is. We went in, my numbers were not the best, but they said they were okay. They said to come back in 48 hours and retest. Of course, those 48 hours were the most nerve wracking, but in a way, because I had an experienced miscarriage at that point, I was so optimistic that everything was gonna be fine. 48 hours later, I go to the doctors and we get the blood work. After the blood work, I waited anxiously by the phone along with Zach. He was just as anxious as I was. And then we got the call. The call basically told us that our numbers were not doubling. They were increasing. However, they weren't doubling like they'd like to see them. They told me to come back, I believe it was a week. When I came back the following week, I did my blood work again. Lo and behold, the numbers have not even nearly doubled. That's when my doctor said, we're gonna have to do an ultrasound. Going into that ultrasound room, I think for those of us who know the infertility struggle, or for the first time, know how nerve-wracking, exciting, and anxious you can be going in there as they're looking for what you and your mind have already envisioned being a child. During the ultrasound, they were looking. Of course, it all looked like blobs to me. I mean, <laughs> when you go for an ultrasound, unless you're a certified ultrasound technician, you have no idea what you're looking at. Therefore, you're relying on them to tell you. As we're in there, I see the look on the ultrasound person's face. It's a look of confusion. They said there is no sac, there was no embryo, there was no yolk, there was nothing. Therefore, immediately, they called my doctor in and my doctor said, this is a tubal pregnancy. For those of you that don't know, a tubal pregnancy is actually called an ectopic pregnancy, and that's where the embryo can implant anywhere along your, it could be in your fallopian tubes, sometimes it grows outside of the uterus, sometimes in different places. Therefore, it's everywhere but where it needs to be in your uterus. His next suggestion was to take a shot called methotrexate. And the reason he convinced me to take that shot was because there was a risk that if this was an ectopic pregnancy and it was growing in my fallopian tubes, I could possibly lose a fallopian tube, meaning my ovaries would have no way of releasing an egg. There would be no connection between my ovaries and the uterus. It would just be without a tube and that would be one less tube to work with. So I took this methotrexate shot. And then I came home. I didn't really feel anything. I kind of felt weak. I remember having headaches. And then about two days later was when I started miscarrying. My miscarriages, fortunately, have never been... I know some women have intense bleeding, intense um, 
cramping. My miscarriages honestly just felt like a normal week in my menstrual cycle. There was a little bit of cramping and not a lot of blood. However, my husband and I decided to go ahead and look at what this methotrexate shot does. I was shocked. I was, I was in awe to see the kind of things that this shot is used for. The main use for methotrexate is actually for cancer patients. And the purpose of the shot in layman's terms is to go inside and kill any cell dividing organisms inside your body. Therefore, if you're a cancer patient, you obviously want to nip that cancer in the bud and prevent it from spreading. I have never been angrier in my life. Not only was this the first time I was going through a miscarriage, I had been given a drug that I think my body could have handled. But because I didn't know any better, I accepted it, I did it, and we just moved on. The next few weeks were spent trying to explain to our family after we mourned our own loss, calling our parents, calling our families, and letting them know. As a woman, of course, I took the blame completely upon myself. I thought I did something wrong. I was working too hard. Um, I took the medicine the wrong way, the Clomid. You know, I just thought of all possibilities. I think that, that a lot of women go to that space when something like that happens to us. After that, we decided to take a break. Obviously, I think uh, I think taking a break in between losses is very important. I think, and that's something we'll talk about as the show progresses, how we need to mourn these losses that we go through. This being my first loss and my first pregnancy, I feel like I needed to mourn it. And so we took a break and we just kind of continue to live our lives. After the methotrexate shot, they also suggest that you wait six months before getting pregnant. That was something else that we found out on our own. While researching, if you take methotrexate and you get pregnant too soon, your child can actually be born with deformities. And that just, that just petrified me. And so we were very careful. We waited exactly the right amount that our doctor told us to wait to try again. I believe those were six months of just trying not to think of, of having a baby, trying not to think of getting pregnant, just continuing to live our daily lives and, and, you know, just be a happy married couple. After the six months, we decided to get on Clomid again. I called my doctor. He cleared me. We were ready. We decided we're going to give this another shot. I want to say the second time I took Clomid for four months before getting pregnant. I had actually had a regular menstrual cycle, and so therefore I didn't think I was pregnant. I started feeling tired, achy, just having no energy. And my mother-in-law, who was living with us at the time, said, you know, you're pregnant. And I mean, people had been telling me that since we were trying to get pregnant. And I think it's something that's so frustrating because we know our bodies more than other people do. And while, you know, they are trying to be sympathetic and they are trying to be nice about it and hopeful, it does kind of rub a little bit of salt in the wound when you already know what you've been through and someone just says, oh, hey, you're totally pregnant. When you know that that is not the first possibility, that is not the first uh, train of thought you go to. After going and heeding my mother-in-law's advice, we went and bought a pregnancy test at Walgreens, and lo and behold, I was pregnant. I, again, was in total shock because I had just taken a round of Clomid, and I had read that sometimes that can cause harm to the fetus, sometimes people do it without knowing, and it has no issues. Erring on the side of precaution, I called my doctor right away, and he said, you know what, don't worry, let's get you in on Monday and check that blood work. Monday comes around. And I go in for the blood work. And of course, all this happens during the weekend, right? Because heaven forbid it happened during the week when we had a day off and we can go get it checked right away. No, it was on the weekend. 
So I remember going in that Monday and, and, and the, the sheer panic yet excitement. And I don't even know if I could explain that. There's there's a feeling of of complete and utter anxiety, just just scared out of your mind. But at the same time, there's this little voice inside of you that tells you this this might work. This this is it. This is this is how it's gonna happen. We go in there, they test my numbers, I get a call back later, my numbers were amazing. They were at least twice as high, if not three times as high as my first one. Came home, we decided to tell just our parents because we had experienced loss and we knew that that there was still a possibility. However, the numbers were looking amazing. Zach and I were convinced it happened this time. They asked me to go back again just to monitor the numbers and they doubled. It, It was amazing. The numbers were doubling, everything was looking great. And we just kept hopefully wishing. I came home. I prepared. I was eating better. I was taking care of myself. We felt like there was a weight lifted off our shoulders because everything scientifically was going correct. Fast forward to a week later. They checked my numbers again. My numbers were high enough. So when your HCG counts get above a certain level, that's when they know that the baby or the sac or the yolk can be detected on an ultrasound. And I was at that point. They brought me back into that ultrasound room. Again, sheer terror, sheer panic, but excitement, way more excitement this time because everything had been going fine. Scientifically, my numbers were great. I was feeling great. Everything was, was, was the way it should be. We get in there, they get the ultrasound machine and there is nothing there again. They are looking, they're saying my numbers are high enough where something should be shown. Nothing, no sac, no yolk, nothing. Again, my doctor comes in, This is probably another ectopic pregnancy. Once one happens, apparently the frequency, the chance of them happening again is more likely. So therefore he automatically assumed this is an ectopic pregnancy. Let's be safe. Let's make sure and end this right now. After the experience I had the first time with methotrexate, I think you can understand when I said there is no way in heck I'm going to do that. Um, I knew that my body could take care of it. I kind of left it in God's hand and said, if this is meant to be a miscarriage, my body will take care of it. Our bodies are amazing. You know, if we think back at time when, when women didn't have all these drugs, when, when women had, you know, were delivering children at home, I mean, our bodies are just, we underestimate them because of all medicine has done for us and all the medical field has done for us, which some is amazing, but at some point it also is, it, it might be too much. And so... I decided against it. I let my body run its course and lo and behold, I had a miscarriage, but this one might've stung a little bit more. And the reason it stung more was because everything seemed to be going fine. Everything seemed to be the way it was supposed to be. And there was no reason why this pregnancy shouldn't have worked. So we continued to pray. We continued to let the miscarriage happened on its own and we decided to let ourselves mourn the loss again. This one was a little harder to tell our family. Our family had purchased a couple things for us. We had purchased a couple things and this was when I knew I definitely needed to take a break. My husband isn't as expressive as I am. I think as women we are more expressive and more in tune with our feelings and that doesn't go for everybody. Just I guess in my personal opinion, kind of a generalized statement. So my husband seemed to be okay. You know, I know that it caused him some heartache, just like it would cause anybody heartache. 
but he seemed to be processing it better. Me, on the other hand, I was just destroyed, and I knew that I needed to mourn the loss, and we needed to talk about our future, about having children, uh, what we were, how we were going to get there, how we were going to become parents. We decided to take a year off. We decided to take a break. In between that year, I'd say about six months after my miscarriage, Zach and I started talking about adoption. Now, we will be talking about this further in other episodes, but we didn't see adoption as a band-aid to our own fertility, and that's something that should be very important and discussed. When we were dating, we constantly talked about adopting. Our plan was we are going to have one or two children of our own, biological children, and we always wanted to adopt. It's something that is unexplainable. We don't know why. I believe Zach had some friends growing up that were adopted. Myself growing up, I didn't know anyone that was adopted, but growing up and, and learning about the world and seeing these different options, I thought adoption could be something that was beautiful. Giving a child a home that he or she wouldn't have otherwise due to you know whatever circumstances with the birth mother. And so we said, you know what, let's start this adoption journey. You know, we always planned on starting it. Maybe we just kind of have to do things out of order. And so that was about two years ago, we started our adoption journey. We went ahead and got our home study. And that one itself was, (laughs) I laugh now, but it was, it was interesting. I mean, they check every single thing you've ever done. If you've crossed it a crosswalk, if you've jaywalked, if you parked illegally, if you committed a crime of some sort, a misdemeanor, they will find it. So after the home study process, that took about four months for us to get our home study. They had to check our background. They asked us for information on each other. They made sure that we were mentally and physically stable, which again, the process itself was grueling, but I understand why they do it. And I appreciate it because we just don't want anybody to adopt. Obviously, you know, you have to be in a certain mindset, in a certain time of your life, within a certain financial comfort level in your home. Once we got our home study, well, I'd say about three months before we got our home study completed, we started a Facebook page. Our goal, after reading and researching and joining these amazing groups on Facebook, which I hope to have some of these organizers of these groups on future podcasts, we decided to pursue private adoption. Now, what private adoption is, is basically not going through an agency. We are in charge of having our own attorney, our own social worker, and finding an expectant mother on our own, finding a mother who was considering adoption for her child. That process was, or is, because we are still on that journey, (laughs) is as grueling, if not a little bit more than our infertility and our losses and and Zach and I have had these discussions and we both agree while on this journey, like I said, we've, we opened a Facebook page. We started pursuing social media. Social media has been an amazing gift to businesses, to people, to communities. It has been an amazing way of finding whoever it is that you want to find and attract to your page. So we decided to advertise on Facebook. We had a Facebook page. We had parent profiles. We had a profile on there and we had an Instagram And I just would pay for ads. I would put pictures of our lives, make silly videos with Zach because we constantly are just doing silly stuff. And I decided to pursue and to engage with people through our social media. Through that, we came in touch with a lot of scams. 
these are people who either are not pregnant and are trying to emotionally scan you, therefore play with your emotions, make you think that there is a child and there isn't a child, get you emotionally invested. And there's also financial scams, people that are trying to get money from you as birth parent expenses that may or may not be pregnant. Some of them are faking a pregnancy and some of them are actually pregnant but may not be planning on placing. Determining their intentions is way harder than anything you could ever know because there are serious expectant mothers out there who are trying to get help for their children and do need some help along the way. Therefore, we had to look at every experience and, and option as an actual one, as something that could, could really happen for us. Throughout that journey, we encountered some scams. We had people who were mostly emotional scammers. We had one gal that decided to catfish us on Facebook. <laughs> and I honestly laugh now because, you know, you watch these catfishing videos and you think, oh, they're just like to, you know, make guys think you like them or girls or vice versa. But there's actual people who were catfishing me. This girl told me where she lived. She was in the same state as me, where she worked. Everything was just so detailed. And she would talk to me every day. And we, you know, since she was in the same state, we wanted to arrange a meeting. And there was always an issue why she wouldn't meet. A little investigating on Facebook with my amazing friends from my Facebook group with the adoption page or pages. We found out that there was a duplicate website. I went ahead and took a look at that duplicate website and messaged her. I figured, well, maybe this girl was scared and made an alternate profile so her family wouldn't know that she was considering adoption. Or because I was a total stranger to her, maybe she didn't want to know, she didn't want me to know what her life was about. Although she had told me a lot of details about it. But anyways, I go ahead and message her and I ask her, hey, I know we've been talking on the other page, on your other private page. Is it I just want to make sure this is you. Are you talking to me on the other page because you res you know, you want me to respect your privacy? I get a response back and the girl says, I have no idea who you are. Granted, she was a young girl. And so I thought, well, maybe she's a little defensive because I did message her out of nowhere. We continue talking and she says she has no idea. She is pregnant, but she's keeping her child. She's steady with her boyfriend. She has family support. And my heart dropped. I had grown to get to know this woman who I thought was her. I felt sympathy towards her. I felt care. I would worry when she was worried. And just to find out that that person was no one. They reported the page. I went back to ask the girl why she would do that. You know, what, what was, what was her, her end game out of emotionally scamming someone? By the time I got back, the page was non-existent and it was completely gone. And that was just one of our scams. Um, most of our scams did involve emotional scamming. Thankfully, we have not lost a lot of money. And, and I say lost because if it's a scam, it's lost. I would say that if we actually talked to an expectant mother that was considering placing, we gave her some money to help her out and she changed her mind. I don't think that would be a loss. I think that I can see that as a gift, helping a fellow woman who's struggling and pregnant. Um, but these... These definitely were losses because they were definitely scams. And therefore, you know, we lost, we didn't lose anything significant. It was less than a hundred bucks and we helped a couple, a couple moms out and some of them were just emotional. We didn't lose anything but sleep and tears and emotions. It was, it's such a roller coaster. It's been such a roller coaster. Now for every scam that we have, we have had the experience of talking to actual expectant parents or moms. They have actually contacted me. They have actually been thinking about it. And 
And when someone contacts you and tells you they're thinking about that, when you haven't been through that process yourself, there has to be an immense amount of sympathy because this is a woman who's reaching out to you in a moment of vulnerability and saying that there is a possibility I might want to place my child, can we talk? And that's where you have to be very sensitive. As much as the scams will try and tear you down and make you a little cynical, you have to also keep in mind that there is people out there who are truly trying to find a home for their children that they think they cannot provide. And like I said, we did meet some expectant mothers who are now moms. Um, and, and, and we met some amazing people along the way. Those may have not worked out. Some of them decided to parent. Some of them decided to choose a different couple. And while that's devastating, something that I've always kept in mind throughout this journey of adoption is my want or need it's mostly a want to be a mother should not trump anybody else's. My fertility, my infertility is my own cross to bear, my own sorrow to take. We all have our own issues. We all have our own struggles. And there's no reason why I should impose my struggles on someone else. And so as we continue on this journey, the most recent one that we had was actually an amazing expectant mom that we met. And she told us she was considering for adoption. She was considering placing her child for adoption and everything was going smoothly and she decided to choose another couple. Why? We will never know. I don't think we have any right to know either. Her being the mother of that child, she knows what's best for her best for her child. I would never think of imposing on someone on their decision while they're carrying their child knowing what's best for their child because it may not be us. The situation just wasn't for us and while I'm speaking about this now and making it sound rational and sounding like somebody who completely gets it. It wasn't always that way. When we first found out, I was devastated. I I cried for three days. I didn't understand. I was angry. I was upset. Everything seemed to be going smoothly. And it took a couple days. Um, Zach's perspective, prayer, meditating, just a little bit of everything just to make me understand that this woman who's carrying this child knows what's best for her child. I don't know what's best for her child, and no one else does besides her because she's the one carrying that child. If she decided to choose a different couple, she had her reasons. And so we wished her amazing luck. I I try and check on her because I, I truly got to know her, and I feel for her, and I love her as a person. But it just didn't work out for us, and so now we're here. That wasn't too long ago. That was a couple months ago. So now we are wanting to discuss the different options we have right now we are currently looking at finding out why our pregnancies didn't work after i had my miscarriages i never went to try and find out what exactly was failing Um, we never tried ivf which is in vitro fertilization because of the expense but not only the expense we knew that having a child that's genetically ours was not the most important thing in our lives The most important thing to us was to become parents, but we were open to welcoming children that don't have to be genetically related to us. There's a really popular saying and quote out there that says, love makes a family, not DNA. And I think we've come to the point where we completely agree with that. If we were to have our own biological children down the line, that would be amazing. But if we don't, that would be amazing as well. I think after those losses, we learned to mourn our infertility And once we mourned that infertility, 
we were able to go into adoption with an open heart and an open mind. What we're doing right now, Zach and I, we have an appointment next week, I think, and we're going to check just to see what happened, just to kind of see what went wrong. I feel like I'm at a phase now where it won't be a devastating blow because I've mourned that loss. But also, thankfully, we have amazing insurance through Zach's job and they're willing to pay for all that exploratory testing. And I said, you know what? What the heck? Another reason why we're going to check that out is because there is another form of adoption and it's called embryo adoption. Embryo adoption is from women who have had in vitro fertilization. In vitro fertilization requires a woman to simulate and overproduce a certain amount of eggs, then a doctor will come in and take out as many healthy eggs as he can. The man, husband, partner, whoever it is, deposits his sperm into a little cup. You know, I, I always joke around with Zach and I say he has the easiest part. <laughs> and you know, as women, we'll always say men have the easiest part. But we always think they have the easiest part and they'll argue, but you know, it depends on the kind of day and how you're feeling whether you'll be okay with that. <laughs> but um, so basically these women, that's what they call test tube babies. I've always hated that term, but you know, back in the day people were like, oh, test tube babies. So they get the woman's egg, they, get, they, they wash the men's, the man's semen, the men's sperm, and they make sure to only get the healthy sperm. And so men have different variety of sperm. Some have fast, some have slow, some have irregular. And these are things that we've learned along the way. Diet, a lot of things, genetics have to do with that, and we'll go into that into a later podcast. I'm just trying to keep it as brief here as an introduction, but we will touch on all these subjects. What they do is that they basically get in a lab, they get the egg, they get the healthy sperm, and they introduce them in an embryo forms. A lot of people will be happy if they get three or four. Some people get one. Some people get ten, I've even heard. They're, they're you know... It's just a matter of how healthy those eggs are and how healthy those, those sperm are getting into the egg. Now, with in vitro fertilization, a lot of women, what they'll do is that they'll implant afterwards. They make the, they make the embryo and then they get it implanted in them. They will implant more than one sometimes. Some women do one, some women do two. However, when you implant more than one, you are obviously running the risk of multiples. And for some, that, that's amazing. For some, that's dreading. Um, I still don't know where I stand. I think maybe multiples would be fun. My brother and my sister are twins, but I remember seeing my mom going through a hard time and they're beautiful, but they're a lot of work. So, you know, it's something we've talked about, but the way that this, sorry, to continue with the, uh, the discussion about embryo adoption, when these women do all this and go ahead and get the egg inseminated in them or placed in their uterus, the baby grows, they have a baby, they have two babies. Sometimes these women have leftover embryos and these women are done making their families. You know, we all have a certain amount where we're like, okay, I feel like my family's full or we have a certain goal of children that we want to have. And then we think our, our family's complete. And so what happens to these leftover embryos? Well, women have two options. One of them, the clinic can actually destroy them and there is controversy on destroying them. We'll talk about that as well later on. Some people believe that embryos are not living yet. Some people believe that embryos are already living because they are already constructed, so to speak. And so that's one of the options. The other option women have, actually they have three. The second option they have is to freeze them. So you can actually cryogenically freeze these embryos for up to years. 
at your clinic to use them at a later time. Let's say you think your family is complete right now, but five years down the line, you're going to want to have another child and that's okay. You know, some people want to want to have that option later on and so they can cryogenically freeze it with their fertility clinic and leave it there. There are stories in the newspaper of embryos that have been frozen for 15 years. I want to say there was one that was longer and they've been successfully implanted and they're born and they're they're perfect babies. So I mean, that's amazing. And what some other women do, this is the third option, I guess, is that you can actually donate those embryos. So they obviously have to be frozen because they're not being used at the time. But whether you decide to destroy them or keep them frozen, or you can donate them to women. Um, embryo adoption, I want to say, is relatively new. I've, I've looked at some some stuff, and it's not as old as IVF. It, I mean, it, it's it's a relatively new concept. And by relatively new, I mean, you know, 30 years or so. And so what you can do is donate them anonymously through your clinic. There are people who will go to clinics and sign up for an embryo adoption wait list. My clinic has one, I believe. We'll find out next week, but I believe they have one. Or you can, there's amazing Facebook groups. Again, social media, guys. Social media has been amazing in everything, just bringing people together who are going through the same thing. There is a group about women who are looking or donating. So people who are looking to receive embryos, people who are looking to donate embryos. Now, embryos can't be adopted in the same way as a child can be adopted. There is no fees. You can't charge for an embryo. So basically you donate them. And that is another way to do it. That is another way to adopt. Here we have women who are selflessly donating their leftover embryos. And they're giving them to women who can't have a child. So for me, that's another route that we're considering. We can actually find a donor, have their amazing embryo implanted in me, and I can actually give birth to a child. That child would be, there's studies on this, so I won't say it's 0% genetically like me. There are studies that say that sometimes surrogates do contribute a percentage of DNA um, to the child they're carrying. But basically, I would be my own surrogate. I would be carrying a child that is not mine inside of me genetically, but I get to give birth and love that child just if it were mine. Um, so that is another another way that we're looking at it, you know, and, and in our perspective, since for us it's not highly important to have a child that's completely genetically ours, I think it's an amazing way to give these embryos that are frozen and these women who just don't want to destroy them because A, they're expensive to make, and B, they're, they're your embryo babies. And so we think that that might actually be a route that we might consider once we talk to our fertility specialists, you know, depending on how everything is. But I would love to just welcome motherhood any way I can. And that's kind of our plan at this point. You know, there's a lot of people who say you should focus your energy on one thing. And, and while that's true, you know, if you're going to adopt domestically, internationally, you should probably have your goal and have your head on straight and focus on that. But I feel like adopting in general, whether it be through an embryo or through a born child, domestic, international, I think getting to know and being open to both of those possibilities for us is going to be what's important right now. Like I said, we're going to be considering all our options. We want to build our family. We want more than one child. That That's our goal. And if you know we have one child through embryo adoption, we have two children through domestic adoption. 
you know, we are blessed to have a, a regular biological child. We're all going to love them the same. But my husband and I are on a journey right now where next stop is motherhood for me. I guess the next stop is fatherhood for him, I hope. <laughs> I should have named next stop parenthood. So that's our mission right now. Motherhood is my mission. And along the way, I've met amazing people on social media, amazing groups that are out there for people who are looking for information, even getting started, just seeing what it's about, listening to different types of viewpoints that are involved in the voices of infertility, especially in the voices of adoption. Um, while considering adoption, I made sure to get as much information as I can. There is amazing birth mothers out there who are willing to share their experience, their heartache, their, their trials, their, their joy of seeing their children now grown up. Um, another very important voice is the voice of the adoptees. And that is who adoption is really about. As much as I would like to become a mother, an adoption process is not about my need or want to be a mother. It's about that child's life and how I can be of service, of amazing love, of value to that child, rear them, help them grow and be amazing, which is, I think, every mother's mission. However, it's so important to listen to the different voices that struggle with this. And that's where I say adoption is a little more complicated than infertility to understand. Infertility is just yourself, your partner, your feelings. With adoption, there's so many more voices to this. Not only do you get invested yourself, you also have to look at the standpoint from a birth mother's point of view. Not only a birth mother's point of view, but adoptees who are now old enough to tell you how they felt throughout that process, how they felt knowing that they were adopted, how they felt being in an open or closed adoption. There's so much more emotion. There's so much more learning. There's so much more education to be done via adoption. And that's why I think my husband and I have decided or have discussed that adoption is quite a bit more emotionally draining than infertility. However, that doesn't discount infertility as being something that isn't difficult for us to deal with. It absolutely is. But there's a lot more to learn. And so that's my point of this podcast. I wanted to go ahead and give you guys an insight on where I come from. We come from infertility. We are in our adoption phase. We don't know where we go. Along the way, there was losses, and we will talk about those too. And so my point is just to kind of give you an overall idea of how we can become mothers if we're looking for that if that is something we want if we want our next stop to be motherhood there's so many different options and so my goal in this podcast is to have different women come on here with me and men who have been through all of it who have been through infertility get a different side on infertility that isn't mine some people have had child loss later on in pregnancy some after delivery I want to have birth mothers give us their perspective on how adoption affected them. I want to have adoptees give us their experience on how they feel their adoption, how it, 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 how it molded them into the person they are today. And I want adoptive parents as well to give us their experience on what they went through to go ahead and become the parents they are now, the adoptive parents they are now. We'll be discussing pros and cons. I'm very open to having discussions about what's good, the bad, and the ugly. Not everything is butterflies and rainbows, and us that have been through infertility should carry that thought throughout adoption. Not everything is butterflies and rainbows. There is loss, there is grief, there is sadness, and there is joy sometimes. 
And that's my mission here. I hope that you guys continue to listen. I hope that you guys join and contribute. If you have any questions, if there's anything specific that you would like to talk about, any topic within the realm of infertility, adoption, loss, anything in between, basically on your journey to motherhood, let us know. Go ahead and feel free to email us at nextstopmotherhood at gmail.com. Let us know what you think, thoughts, ideas. If you would like to be a guest on the show, let me know. We would love to hear from you. Any comments, I, I, I am extremely open. I want this to become a safe place where we can talk about what we've been through and a place where we can mostly learn on what there is out there, on different ways to become mothers, different ways we can be mothers. And so I want to thank you for listening today. I hope you all have a great day. I hope that my story relates to yours somehow who's listening to this, somebody who's gone through what we've gone through. You're not alone. There's so many more of us out there. And so if any of this resonates with you, if you would like to know more information, please send us an email, a message, however it is. I hope you guys have an amazing day and an amazing week. And we'll be here next week, same time, same place. Thank you.